I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the White Witch Podcast with me, Carly. Hope you are all well, witches. Today's episode is all about the Kitchen Witch. Our book review today is The Hedge Witch's Garden, written by Carly Rose and Rachel Coates. Yes, you heard right. It's by me and Rachel the Hedge Witch. I know this is very self-indulgent, but if I don't review our little book, who will? This is me and Rachel's first book from our own small print press, The Hedge Witch's Library. And it's all about the element of fire, fire within, fire without, magic and rituals, celebrating April, May and June, Beltane and Liffa. Our booklet in essence is a 60 page zin. It's incredibly retro looking and we like to think it looks like the sort of booklets that local churches and parishes produce, you know the ones. However, ours are full of witchcraft, full of information relating to the Sabbaths and hedge witchery, plus scatterings of illustrations throughout. It gives me major the Larkins, vintage England vibes, least that's what we've always been striving for. This edition has sections on the element of fire, sun magic, Beltane, the Hawthorne tree, the Fae, the cunning folk, a magical tea garden, saining, juniper, hecate, litha, solstice magic, fire scrying, Circe, hedge riding, the rose, midsummer bounty and midsummer recipes. It's full of spells, rituals, and recipes. There are studies on herbs, not to mention my wonderful lemon and lavender liffa cake recipe. What more could you want? I'll read you a small intro of the cunning folk section that Rachel wrote that I absolutely adore. Off the main tracks where the horse and cart rides, along the quiet lane where the trees grow more densely, where the shadows deepen and the sounds of the town fade and are replaced instead by the scampering of clawed feet and pairs of wings taking flight. And further still where the path becomes no longer a path, but a slightly more trodden down way through the ferns and undergrowth. In the cottage surrounded by trees so thick, From some angles, you would only know it was there by the trail of smoke curling steadily upwards from a half-hidden chimney. Here is where the fairy tale witch can be found, the wise woman of folklore and myth, 
the healer whose story was told to the children and the children's children and who still lives within our hearts today if we only know where to look. You can purchase our booklet on the Etsy link in the show notes. We can deliver to pretty much anywhere in the world. We will be producing a booklet for the Wheel of the Year, so keep an eye out for our future releases too. Join me after the break when we discuss kitchen witchery. Welcome back. So one of the things I have been considering recently is my relationship with food. You see, I've always had an interesting relationship with food, and I think many of us do. This episode is all about the kitchen witch, but before we get into that, I felt that perhaps we could look at elements of looking at self-love in relation to food. If you feel like this might be a trigger for you, I will put a link in the show notes to basically the time that the episode will go straight into the kitchen witch section. So I've always been a foodie. My earliest memories around food relate to my nanny Rose, who used to bake cakes all the time. Whenever me and my little brother would go over there, we'd make cakes with her. And most of the time we would just be sneakily eating the raw cake mixture when she wasn't looking. But those were some of my favourite childhood memories. And I think that's possibly why whenever I experience any emotional damage ever, I'm instantly triggered by my gut that tells me I need to sink a large amount of cake immediately into my cake hole. This isn't anything to do with diets, this section of the podcast. It is more around food and self-love. I decided this is more about me romanticizing food and making it a sensuous experience rather than me chucking anything into my cake hole mindlessly, not giving a crap about what it is. Thing is, with me, I'm very much a all or nothing person and I'm forever working on a middle ground. Part of this episode before the Kitchen Witch section will focus around that. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, let me have you under no illusions. I'm a chubby witch. I'm five foot ten. I do look like I could possibly burn your village down. There's nothing remotely slight about me. And I'm not here criticizing my weight nor hating on it, saying that either. I also have beautifully slim friends who are on the opposite side of the spectrum, who, again, we've discussed this, and they need to sometimes set intentions so they do eat, but also not overeat. They've also expressed the same experiences, even though structurally we are totally different. And hopefully this episode can cover a middle ground wherever you are at. Enjoying food on a deeper level and eating as though you love and respect your body is said to be one of the highest forms of self-love. And this is a journey I'm really starting on. So please don't think I have any clue what I'm doing as yet, but perhaps it's something that we could work on together. Here are some ideas that I'm setting intentions around going forward that might offer you some food for thought. So treating your body with respect, mindless eating and binging will not impact us positively. And bear with me as I attempt to register this. 
feeding our bodies gently, treating them with care, choosing foods that empower us and leave us feeling amazing. Finding out what you love to eat. So over the course of the day, like listening to our body's needs, our food regimens are often cultivated based off of what we have read, opinions and trends. And it's a case of have you ever taken a moment to find out what it is that you love rather than manipulating your eating efforts, taking time to really focus on nourishing your body and loving yourself, trusting the process and following your heart. Enjoying food with others who appreciate this. So spending some time with friends, enjoying a meal together, focusing on the smells and tastes that are included with the meal, having a conversation about your favorite foods and connecting on a deep level through life's pleasures. And I think one of the best ways that we can do this is with the Sabbaths, because come on, let's be honest, they are so food related. We can really go to town with it. Making your food pretty when possible. Again, this is something that's also very linked to the Sabbaths. We are such foodies, us witches. So setting some time aside to make our plate look appealing because we deserve it. After cooking a meal, you will appreciate the meal on a deeper level if it appears appetizing. So like falling in love, romanticizing the idea of cooking and hopefully falling in love with you because you'll recognize how much greater your appreciation is after enjoying a beautiful meal. I always self-sabotage this because I end up eating half the meal before I've made it and then I just, I don't feel the same about it because I'm there feeling bloated and crap and it's just not the same. Eating is a true form of self-love practice and it's, you know, like a random act of kindness for yourself around food, just like you would for someone else that you love. Acting as if. So the quickest way to feel loving towards ourselves is to act loving towards ourselves. Some 12-step groups say you can't think your way into right acting, but you can act your way into right thinking. If you don't know what that would look like, you could try this simple but profound exercise. This comes from Louise Hay. So on the top of a sheet of paper, write, I love myself, therefore, then list all the things you would do or would do out of love for yourself. And these might include things like, I love myself, therefore, I feed my body clean, wholesome food, or I love myself, therefore I refuse to starve myself. And it's interesting. So tap into like any resistance that you might see come up or really explore like different areas and different things that you'd like to do that you're not currently doing. Eat when you're hungry. So hunger signals mean the body needs to be refueled. Ignoring them long enough, which we do when we're busy, stressed or dieting and they'll become blunted. So, so many people will often say, I never get hunger pangs. That's not the only physical sign of hunger. It's also a lack of focus, irritability, nervousness, and lightheadedness can all indicate the need for food. Food provides nourishment, and to deny yourself food is literally denying yourself nourishment. I know some of this sounds really basic, but sometimes, you know, I need to hear it. Like, I need to remind myself. I don't remember the last time I was hungry. <laughs> Spiritually hungry, but, yeah, actually physically hungry. Um, yeah, 
<laughs> so here's this that's probably really something really wrong with that here's a fine distinction so people say should i eat every time i'm hungry even if it's all day long non-stop and to that we could ask what are you really hungry for is it really food you'd be surprised by how often hunger is really the body calling for rest or sweetness or some kind of attention that has nothing to do with food for example, Sue, my long-suffering, lovely counsellor, always said to me, you eat when you feel ungrounded or unrooted or emotionally damaged because, like, I'm sorry, I keep using that meme, because you felt safe and happy and content when you were at your nan's. And I was, I had a tummy full of cake mixture and my nan adoring and loving us in her safe, happy little home. I actually got really emotional when I was kind of like putting this episode together, thinking about that. So I can tell that is a real thing for me. And you might want to explore that. And we will get into that, but you might want to have a look at that. So a next intention that you might want to set, when you eat, eat. So I've had to work on this. It's a case of like, don't read, don't watch TV, don't work, don't drive or engage in stressful conversations. Just eat, be present with what you're doing and mindful of the food and your body's sensations. Look at your food, smell it, notice how it feels in your mouth, really taste it. Most important, pay attention to how it feels in your body. Is it working for you? Your body will give you feedback if we just can give ourselves some time to slow down and get quiet enough to hear. This brings me to the next point of slowing down. Part of that feedback loop includes the body's message that it's full. Sometimes that message comes long before the plate or bowl is empty, even mid-forkful, but you'll miss that signal if you're rushing through your food. Related to this idea is to sit down for meals. A lot of us often eat most of our meals standing up. I do this sometimes and I read that you should try to sit down every time, even if it's just for a few bites. If all you want is a spoonful of ice cream, maybe take a spoonful out of the container, put it in a small bowl, return the container to the freezer and sit down at the table with your small bowl. Eat it slowly and mindfully and you might actually be satisfied with just a few bites. So I kind of have got to this point, I'm like, why am I talking about this and food? But a lot of this ties in with vibration genuinely because obviously we've had episodes in regards to like psychic abilities and you know our most recent episode was on that and I know a lot of psychics that are really focused on their vibration through you know not drinking alcohol or what they eat and I feel like this is you know real area for me that I know I can raise my vibration by how I approach food and what I'm eating so I know you might have got to this point and think well you know what's this got to do with witchcraft Carly but I feel like at times the way that the food industry is now and trust me I'm not here to get political I do feel like we've definitely myself absolutely lost a lot of connection with it and I guess this is 
just something that just keeps coming up for me. And I think at times if something's come up for me, I just sometimes think, I don't think I'm the only one. You know, I'm sure that there is someone that might listen to this and think, well, I hope, you know, like that's kind of where I'm at with it. And yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, just feel like it is definitely more of a vibrational spiritual issue for me than it is just about like appearance or anything like that. Anyway, I'm going to stop waffling. Next intention, eating what you're hungry for. This can be a tricky one for me, but this is what I found in my research because I would just like to eat Chinese food all the time. The advice that came with this was it can be discouraging or even frightening for people with food issues and sensitivities. So perhaps like allergies or certain food addictions, diabetes, people on strict weight loss diets, but that by examining your desire and seeing if there's something in the food that you're specifically craving. So for example, if you're yearning for Ben and Jerry's fish food all the time, what is it about that food that you need or want? Is it maybe just the coldness or the creaminess or the sweetness? Is it the chocolate? Once you identify what exactly you're craving so strongly, you might be able to find something else that satisfies those sensory taste needs. So again, last point, kind of treating your body with respect and mindless binging, shoveling food into your mouth, chomping on like a crappy burger while you're driving your car are in a sense like disrespectful, like demeaning behaviors towards ourselves. And I hate to hear that because I do it a lot, but it's like treating our body as we would a beloved child, like feeding it gently, attentively with care, trying to feed it like, you know, as clean food as we can, we say we want to indulge and then we do it. And often I will do it with just, you know, cheap, like low quality food, fast food fries, you know, just absolute rubbish. And it's a case of maybe like if I do want chocolate, then me buying like a decent bar of some dark chocolate, some high quality stuff, instead of me shoving it down my cake hole as I'm driving you know, making sure it gets home in its wrapper and sitting down with it, unwrapping it slowly, breaking off a small piece, you know, placing it on my tongue and like just enjoying it and noticing the sensations that I experience rather than, yeah, throwing it down my cake hole in the car, like completely oblivious that I've eaten it and probably forget about it in half an hour and eat something else. So one thing I tried, albeit briefly, but I have come back to is journaling around my feelings around food. And I read that if we attempt to trace our desires to eat past fullness far enough, we would likely come to some variation of feeling not enoughness. For example, my emotional triggers for cake or sweet things will usually be through feeling like a lack of security, be it like financial or material security or love that will often lead me to sweet things. Because think about it, I felt secure in my nan's house eating and in the ritual of making cake. So you might have, I don't know, like an association with pizza and when you feel a certain way, you need to 
immediately eat a block of cheese and bread. You know, there might be some kind of memory or something that this links to where you felt a certain way and you're trying to recreate it. This is when you might want to look at some self-inquiry, perhaps journaling on why you are overly craving a certain food when you are full. Maybe start jotting down the reason why you want that certain food and just keep asking why, like digging into things further. And, you know, between us, you might find an answer that gives us that aha moment that explains why we really want that food, even though we are fit to burst. Self-sabotage around food can usually be traced back to the fear of not being enough. However, it can take on many different flavors for everyone, and that's what self-inquiry is for. By separating our thoughts onto paper, we can gain insight into our subconscious reasons for self-sabotage or, you know, the subconscious reasons why we do the things we do. Because the food thing was never about the food or the sugar. It was always about our relationship with life and the fear of not being enough. I think if this is an area you wish to explore more, I would love to direct you to a website called carriedahlgren.net. On there, I found a free ebook. I think it's called The Spiritual Seeker's Guide to Stop binge eating. And again, you know, you might not be a binge eater, but there are so many brilliant tips in there. It looks at self-sabotage around food. There's some really good information on there. So she recommends that the next time you feel the desire to eat when you're not hungry, to stop what you're doing, drop into your body and feel what's there. Get curious and don't knock it till you try it. Nine times out of 10, the feelings that surface will surprise you. You might realize that you are actually harboring some depression, loneliness or anger, that you didn't realize that you were sad. The more that we can train ourselves to tune inwards towards our feelings, the better we can get at not overeating. And often for some of us, you know, when we stop overeating, weight loss happens naturally. So emotional eating is said to be linked to the need for comfort, to escape painful feelings, fear of success, feeling different to others, experiences in trauma, a lack of support, difficulty coping with life. And I also researched and found on a site called ascendinggrace.com some information that gives some good insight into apparently what craving certain foods emotionally might indicate. So it says that if you are craving sweets, it might mean that you need excitement and meditation, yoga, or setting yourself routines can help level this out. If it's bread, it could be that you need comfort, love, and acceptance. If it's coffee, you might want to focus on breathing exercises to oxygenate. You might need more hydration and rest. If it's salt, you might be dehydrated and could use rest and balance. If it's fatty foods, this could be related to some form of addiction. You might be seeking comfort, love and acceptance. Here are some affirmations I'm considering using when it comes to my eating intentions. You might appreciate these or want to look into some that you prefer. I'm listening to my body. 
I'm making compassionate choices towards myself. I eat well so I can live well. I make powerful choices about food. This food is a foundation for my healthy lifestyle. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Without further ado, let's get into kitchen witchery. So there is a house witch episode of the podcast and we do get into it on there, but I really wanted to delve a little bit further into this topic. I felt there was a lot more we could cover. The house witch episode delves more into house spirits. So ones that you might want to work with in the kitchen, goddesses relating to the hearth. This really will be specific to the kitchen and I hope it might encourage you to get into yours. This is a small section from the Kitchen Witch's Spellbook written by Keridwen Greenleaf in regards to the Green Witch. No matter how humble, kitchens are where we gather together. The very stuff of life takes place in this room. Cooking, sharing meals and talking about our lives. What can be more sacred than this? Nothing. For pagans, far more than meals are prepared in this space. All manner of concoctions and cures are created here. Herbs are ground up, blends are brewed, essential oils are bottled, healing teas are steeped, tinctures are carefully measured, to name but a few of the duties of the kitchen witch. The kitchen of a witch is truly a thing to behold, a sacred space where good health, prosperity and love can be conjured. The kitchen is truly the heart of the home imbued with positive energy. Magic and spell work are about expansion, expanding your horizons, enriching your mind and spirit and celebrating the real riches of well-being and contentment. Every witch walks the spiritual path with practical feet, navigating the modern world aided by ancient wisdom, handed down generation after generation. When you begin to access this special kind of knowledge, You join a lineage of folks who are more in tune with the natural world around us. Our Mother Earth, the moon and the stars, herbs and plants, animal allies. All these are nature's gifts and you will use them in the sanctity of your kitchen. As soon as you approach your magic consciously, you will see that you have the power to choose abundance. Then you can move on to the truest kind of prosperity which has nothing to do with material gains, but involves sharing blessings with loved ones and your community. It is focused on creating meaning and happy memories. So here are some ways that you might want to begin or expand your experience as a kitchen witch. So really basic, you might want to begin or refresh by cleaning and organizing your kitchen so it feels fresh and you are injecting new energy into it. This is the heart of your home and the heart of your practice as a kitchen witch after all. 
You might want to start transforming your space into one you feel inspired to create in. I know many of us would love to feel that throughout our entire home, to feel that it's magical and a sacred space, but the kitchen can be an excellent place to start. So beginning to learn about different herbs and spices can really connect you with your food. This is something I've done a lot for due to the White Witch Covenant on Patreon as we study free herbs each month as part of our Hedgewitch studies. But I also talk a lot about herbs on the Hedgewitch's Almanac with Rachel. So I've begun to understand so much more about what I'm working with, cooking with. I've got much more confident with them. I also love hearing how they would have been used in folklore and so on. Many herbs have their own little stories. In essence, this is a great way to study herbalism. Akin to studying the tarot, you might opt to choose one herb or spice per day to focus on and just roll with the ones that you already have. So research it, then see if you can include it in something you are making that day or maybe start investigating spell correspondences or recipes that you could add it to. I am awash with mugwort at the moment, and I told someone I know the other day who runs their own pub. They told me that before hops were more commonplace, that they used mugwort on account of its bitter taste. They also went on to tell me that there's a legend back in time that heather beer was very sought after, but that only the pits knew the secret of brewing it. So the story goes that an Irish king is meant to have killed all the pits bar a father and son, who he offered to spare if they told him how to make it. The father tricked the king into killing his son, as he knew he would tell, then threw himself off a cliff, thus making sure the secret died with the last of the pits. A cheery story nonetheless, but you might be surprised at how fascinating some of the herbs, histories, properties and uses are. Also looking at the energies they align with, i.e. sort of like masculine or feminine, deities they are linked to, moon phases, astrological signs, elements. I find it all fascinating. And this, of course, can trickle into your spell work when you are using these same herbs and spices in any work that you do. And again, you can decide what you associate that herb or spice with like you don't have to go by the traditional means if there's something that you associate it with start making your own rules around it and for this you might opt to start a kitchen witch grimoire or book of shadows where you log all this information you might keep your magical recipes your ancestors recipes I've kept some of my nanny roses recipes that are like handwritten by her one of the most kind of important things that was ever given to me, like handed down to me. Also your kitchen rituals and spells, herbal anecdotes, anything you like really. And you might want to just start writing in your kitchen grimoire as a regular ritual, as you're learning more, as you are, you know, honing your craft. You could also incorporate magical practices into your cooking. So when you're stirring a recipe, consider stirring either Diacil or Widdishans, depending on the goal that you wish to achieve. So traditionally, one moves Diacil to cast a circle or invoke energies and moves Widdishans to banish. 
Maybe if you're making a sandwich, like spread condiments like mustard in a sigil for your purpose. Maybe when you bake bread, add herbs or spices that correspond to your magical needs. So you might opt to have a guardian within your kitchen in the form of maybe a kitchen puppet or a doll or a statue. It doesn't even have to be of a witch or a doll, just something that you decide to make your kitchen guardian. You might opt to have this guardian in your home overall, but it is quite nice to go with a kitchen if you are a practicing kitchen witch. You might opt to smoke cleanse your guardian, maybe cast some intentions over it. Speak to your item as to what you might like it to help you with within your kitchen or even extending it to your home. So infuse it with your intentions and energy or you might even opt to invite an ancestor's spirit to take residence in the statue or the doll. I know instantly the Annabelle film comes to mind, but this is something that witches do and this is something you might choose to do. So if that feels right for you, absolutely. The kitchen guardian can become part of your daily rituals, but also help protect your kitchen and family. I think it's worth seeing what instantly comes up as your guardian for your home. Usually when I ask people that question, like what statue or item do you have in your home that you would instantly consider could be a guardian, they always have an item come up straight away. It's funny because when I decided to sell my current home, which I am in the process of kind of putting onto the market, I accidentally smashed my guardian, which was a statue of a lion. And I feel now like I'm in this liminal space because I have no guardian for my home. I'm conflicted on, you know, waiting to move to buy a new one as there isn't another item in my home that could take that spot currently. So I'm conflicted. But caring for your guardian is great. It means that it takes on a living existence. I mean, you can make offerings to your guardian, converse with them. A simple ritual that you might opt to do in your kitchen every day is to light a candle to honour the hearth fire of your ancestors. Many kitchen witches will light candles in the kitchen as a thankful gesture to the fire element, which of course gives us the ability to cook, as well as for the household spirits, kitchen guardians and our ancestors. So an old wives' tale is that there should be no dishes in the sink when you go to bed, else you'll have nightmares. And I'm afraid that does happen in my house. Sun kitchen witches swear by keeping a clean kitchen in order to honour their household spirits and ancestors. You might opt to clean and cleanse your kitchen using sage bundles or other smoke cleansing bundles or sprays that include herbs. You might even have a besom and use it to sweep away negative energy from your kitchen. And you might want to start considering your kitchen tools as magical tools. Perhaps your kitchen knife becomes your athame, your wooden spoon, your magic wand for the kitchen. Every appliance in the kitchen becomes magical when dedicated to the art of kitchen witchery. So your cooking pot could double as a cauldron, the teapot brews herbal potions, the oven transforms ingredients into magical meals. You can cleanse and consecrate all of your kitchen tools that you plan to use in your magic. 
if you are already a established kitchen witch, you might want to delve even deeper with your practice, perhaps studying your ancestors' foods, then maybe making those foods as offerings or purely as a magical way to connect, or research gods, mythology and the foods within. You might even look at expanding your practice to growing your own food, to keeping chickens and bees. Therefore, you might start, I don't know, studying beekeeping and maybe using the honey in your magic and so on. You might work with deities linked to the hearth or kitchen and opt to leave daily ritual offerings for them. Perhaps water, coffee, wine, small amounts of food on your kitchen altar. You might use symbols or sigils to charge your meals and beverages with sacred magic. This can be simply drawing a symbol over the meal or drink in the air or using oils, herbs and so on to draw sigils and symbols directly onto food. Some witches even put magical sigils at the bottom of pie crusts. Eating whole foods that are close to the earth, this deepens our connection to our food and to the place that it comes from, nature. You might want to try and shop more locally. This is something I'd like to do more of. You might opt to frequent farmers markets or purchase directly from farms if they are accessible to you. That is if you are not growing your own. Also, focusing on having a sustainable lifestyle as much as we can, hoping to be kinder to Mother Earth as a result. I think many of us witches are pretty good at trying to tread lightly, and this applies to any witch really, not just kitchen witches. You might want to create an altar in your kitchen before there were temples and churches. The primary place for expressing reverence was the altar. The word altar comes from the Latin meaning high. So I have a witch's kitchen blessing you might wish to use to begin the use of your kitchen altar and your kitchen as a sacred space or even just to refresh the energy and recommit to your kitchen witch path. Blessed be this kitchen of air, fire, water and earth. Be warmed by the secret light of the goddess and the horned one. My all that is created here, by means both magical and mundane, bring nourishment, healing, sustenance and cause harm to none. With love and peace, joy and magic, be now and always filled with love, so mote it be. I have created a little print that I've added to the show notes of that that you might wish to print off and frame or keep in your kitchen which grimoire. I printed it off to add to my kitchen altar as I don't have anything up currently. So I'm going to give you the ABC of the kitchen witch. A, always stir clockwise. B, before you chop veggies, offer thanks. C, cut mindfully, gratefully. D, do all preparations in a loving spirit. E, energise food with good thoughts. F, feast gratefully. G, give and share what you can spare. H, home and half are sacred. I, invoke blessings of goddess on all food. J, join hands with friends often. K, keep a mortar and pestle for protection. 
L. Love goes into every dish. M. Mindfully gather ingredients. N. No wasting, recycle, compost, feed animals. O. Open your senses, enjoy your surroundings. P. Play as well as work. Q. Quench first, thinking of clear, clean rivers. R. Resolve to be grateful and waste not. S. Smell fragrance and anticipate flavours. T. Thank the universe and goddess for health. U. Use utensils carefully, then clean up. V. Value time spent with loved ones. W. When possible, grow and harvest your food. X. Extra salt will prevent hunger. Y. Yearly rituals and feasts build traditions. Z. Zestful living in every area is our goal. And I'll put that in the show notes too. And you might opt to use this little classic courtesy of Shakespeare's Macbeth when it comes to your spell work in your kitchen. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm's sting, lizard's leg and howlet's wing. For a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble. And of course, this always reminds me of the two aunts on Practical Magic when they make Midnight Margaritas. That film gives me instant serotonin. Francis in that film is absolute goals. And of course, what do the aunts always say? There are some things I know for certain. Always throw spilled salt over your left shoulder. Keep rosemary by your garden gate. Plant lavender for luck and fall in love whenever you can. That's all I have for you, witches. Thank you for listening today. If you would like any more content from me, you might like to sign up to my Patreon. This month, our theme is The Wild Witch, all about dark, divine feminine, pulling ourselves back to that wild energy that we all have I'm not one for some like wishy-washy dive into this. I expect it to get deep with the dark divine feminine energy and reclamation. It's just £6 a month. There are details in the show notes. If you could leave me a review for the podcast, I'll be so grateful if you can. It is so helpful for what I do. I'm really reliant on witches finding the show. So if you can, and if you have left me a review already, honestly, it makes me so emotional. Thank you so much. As ever, thanks for all your support. I'm so truly grateful. Sending you all so much, so much witchy love. Catch up with you all soon, witches. Witches.